Give your Lord a hand clap of praise, a shout of worship. Hallelujah, hallelujah. For he is good and his mercy endures forever. For he is good and there is none like him. I'm going to read the text and I'll let you guys be seated this morning. Luke chapter 1 is where we are. I'm going to read verses 34 to 38. 34 to 38. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Mm. In the morning, in the evening, and you're coming and you're going, he is with you, he is for you, he is enough, amen? Mm. He is. He is. I promise you he is. Sometimes it doesn't feel like he is, but that's the world trying to convince us of something that's not true because the longer you walk and the more you look behind you, the more you realized you were carried, the more you realized that you were taken care of in moments you didn't think you were taken care of, the more you realize that the Lord and Savior of your life was not absent in the moment you thought you were by yourself, but he was present in a way you just couldn't see inside of that moment. Can I tell you, the world will put you in places and the enemy will come against you in ways not just to destroy your life, but to convince you that you are alone and every single time you look back on those seasons you will see the Lord and Savior of your life has walked with you has gone before you has made a pathway for you has cleared things for you that you could not clear for yourself has been near you in ways you didn't even know how to respond to has seen things that you could not see he is that kind of God who is with you who is for you who's surrounding you who is who is near you even in this moment amen and I love that yes indeed Luke chapter 1, Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And then Mary said, here am I, the servant of the Lord, and let it be with me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. Heavenly Father, I ask humbly in Jesus' name that you would speak this morning through your word. May my words mirror your words. May I speak only what you would have me speak, nothing more, nothing less. And may these good people hear only what you would have them hear, nothing more and nothing less. And it's in Jesus Christ's name I pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. He is risen. Amen, man. Y'all are doing great. I love it. I love it. I'm excited to be here during Advent. I'm excited to preach during Advent. I'm excited to open up the scriptures and look at what the word of God says during Advent. It's one of the most beautiful stories that we will ever read. Truly, truly. But in this season, there is something that goes on that I have never quite gotten used to and that I don't know that I ever will. I, I, some things I'm just not good at and I, I realize that and I can own that. And, and wrapping Christmas gifts is one of those things. Any of you have problems wrapping gifts? Yeah, I see some head, yeah, thank you very much. Some of y'all are just owning it. Thank you for that, man. It's the time of confession. This is a free place to not be okay, all right? Uh, uh, it, it seems to me that this was something that was created by somebody who was better at it than I am because uh, you see them in stores. And I was actually watching, uh, I think Carol and Debbie were, um, uh, or Carl, excuse me, and Debbie were wrapping gifts yesterday. And uh, I, I was watching them do it and I just thought, man, I, I'm not even gonna step into that. I taped up a couple boxes for them to wrap as they were decorating yesterday morning. But I'm like, if, if you don't want it to look like like a three-year-old came in here and just destroyed the place, then just leave me out of that part of the decorating. I, just point me to something else I can do and, and I'll do it. But, but as they were wrapping the gifts, I was reminded yesterday just how bad I am at that. And uh, I, I, I'm, I'm a lover of gift bags. No matter how big it requires the bag to be, if, if they have like a 55-gallon barrel-sized bag, that, that's for me. I can, I can put a huge gift inside of that bag and just put it under the tree and you can stuff whatever that paper is on top and, and they can't see what the gift is. And, and so, uh, I, but as, as I talk about hope this morning, I, I think it's important that we think for a moment about why it is that we wrap gifts in the first place. See, there's a reason that we wrap gifts. And it's not just to frustrate our children and grandchildren. 
When a gift goes out under the tree, and you see some up here, there's nothing in here, don't make a mad rush for the stage trying to get something else, but as, as a gift goes under the tree and it's wrapped and the bow is on it, and you see that on the card it has your name on it, it's to you, uh, there, there is something that happens inside of a child or an adult for some of you uh, when you see that there's something there for you. And, and I think it, it's, it's so beautiful to, to see that, that the gift itself is wonderful. But part of what we do at Christmas, part of the tradition of Christmas is that we, we wrap those gifts so that every time we walk through that room, every time we walk by that tree, we see something that we're not quite sure of and it builds an expectancy and an anticipation in us. See, we start to ask the question, what is that? We start to say, wait a second, this wasn't here two weeks ago. Like this, this just showed up all of a sudden. It was put underneath this tree and now I want to know what's inside of it. See, it raises questions that we did not have before the gift was actually given. Wrapping presents is about more than just pretty paper. And it's about more than the mess you've got to clean up on Christmas morning. I remember, I see my parents there. I remember when I was, I was probably about six years old. I don't know if they still want one or not, but I think they used to want a grandfather clock, like a big stand-up grandfather clock. I remember them talking about that. Now, as an adult, I know that we say a lot of things just in conversation that we don't actually want, right? So like, I don't, I, I see grandfather clocks, I think they're beautiful. I don't want one for my house. It's just a piece of furniture that I've got to dust and try and make sure it works. Uh, but I, I remember that they had mentioned it. They might not even have wanted one, honestly, but, but I got it in my mind that they wanted one. And so I bought my, I think it was my mother one year, about a three-inch little toy grandfather clock uh, that came, it looked like about the size of a matchbox car. And, and I remember, and I, I'm still filled with glee at this, I didn't get to carry it through because I wasn't old enough to put it together, but I thought, how wonderful would it be if I were to take that little miniature grandfather clock and put it inside a refrigerator box, wrap it, and put it in our living room so that on Christmas morning, they have to unwrap this gigantic box even though there's just this tiny toy figurine inside. See, here's the difference between children and adults. As a kid, I thought, that'd be awesome. They're going to be fooled. They're going to laugh. It's going to be a good time. What a wonderful Christmas memory. As an adult, the first thing that I think about when I, when I, when I ponder that is, how am I going to break this box down? I've got to get a razor blade and cut it up, and I've got to get it to some recycling center somewhere, and it just adds more problems for me on Christmas morning. <laughs> That's how the enemy robs Christmas joy from you. <laughs> But when we see the present, when we see the gift, when we see the wrapping, when we see the paper, it brings an expectancy into us that we did not have. And can I tell you something? The word hope in the Greek, in the scriptures, is the word elpis. And that word means something very, very similar to that. It is a reasonable expectation. It is an assured anticipation for a positive end. See, hope is where Advent begins. Hope is where Christmas begins. Because hope is the place, not where you find that you're taking hold of everything, but hope is the place where your heart and your mind and your life are conditioned to receive with full joy what God has provided for you. The beauty of hope is that you start to anticipate and expect something that you did not know you were going to receive. That's what hope is, and hope is crucial. Proverbs says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. If it takes too long for hope to come through, then we feel the weight of that disappointment because hope creates an anticipation. It tells us that something is on the horizon. It says that there is more than you have seen. It, it declares to us that there is something beautiful. This is what Advent is about. And can I tell you, even in our life as followers of Jesus, this is supposed to be who we are. To feel the weight of truth. It, when... Now, my son will do it more than my daughter, but she does it too. You can take one of these gifts, and these are empty boxes, but, but if you take a gift under the tree, you'll see people will lift it. They'll see how heavy it is. They'll shake it. They'll try and listen to see if it rattles, and they, they want to know what's inside. You're trying to guess, and I think as Christians, that's who we're supposed to be as well. We see the hopeful promises of God, and we start to pick those things up, and we shake them, and we listen to them. We take up the scriptures, even if we don't know what's inside of them yet, even if we don't understand everything that's on the inside of the wrapping, and we look at it, and we shake 
it and we feel the weight of it and we let that expectancy build within us. So when God, and hear me now carefully, when God fulfills his word, which he will, there is no doubt that the promises of God are yes and amen, that he will never go back on his word. What he's told you will happen, will happen. The healing he's told you will come, will come. The peace he's promised you will come, will come. The deliverance he's promised you is available. It is showing up and it might not be here right now, but our responsibility is to see the gift and to lift it up and to shake it and to listen to it and to let it fill our hearts with anticipation so we walk differently even before we've received the gift. Advent begins with hope because the word of God to the world powerfully generates anticipation. It sets our focus on what is possible through his power. So I have three ideas. I've actually been talking through the first one and I'll I'll give you the point now. (laughs) Hope, first of all, is an outside word invading an inside place. Hope is an outside word invading an inside place. I find it fascinating that so much of the Christmas story in the beginning is really just God speaking to a lot of people. Look at this. John tells us that Jesus' birth, right, was an act of the word being made flesh. And and not just, so he is the word who was with God, who was uh, with God in the beginning. Nothing was created without this word that we, that we know of as Jesus now. And he says that that word did not remain in the heavenlies and that word did not remain in history past, but that word put on flesh. God himself decided to put on flesh, to become a human being so that the word of God, see, this is, this is the same word that spoke light into darkness. It's the same word that spoke creation into nothingness. It's the same word that declared that the spirit would hover over chaos and speak order out of it. That word comes to our world in Jesus Christ. Christ, the word of God with flesh put on him and he shows up. But, but the word that he is, is preceded by a ton of words. Zechariah is visited by the angel in Luke chapter one, right? And the angel declares that something new is taking place, that there's going to be a fulfillment of things. And so a word of new life comes to Zechariah. A word of conception out of barrenness comes to Elizabeth. The Magi receive a word from the star and they receive a new direction in their life. The shepherds receive a a word from the host of angels out in the field. Uh, Mary and Joseph receive a word from Gabriel from the very throne room of God. See, the word of God comes to tell us that the word of God is about to show up. See, God will give you a word when he's bringing something beautiful into your life. God will give you a sense of anticipation. He might not bring to you everything that he's promised you immediately, but he will tell you that it's coming so that you see the world differently even before it has showed up. Before Jesus was born, there were people all over Palestine who were thinking, what in the world's going on? This is amazing. We're seeing things we've never seen. We're hearing things that we've never heard. We're watching things go on that we've never watched go on. This is how the word comes to prepare the way for the word made flesh. Hope is an outside word invading an inside place. Isaiah 9-2 tells us the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. Do you see what, what God is saying? In the depths of the struggle of life, in the rawness that sin had produced. People were walking in darkness. People, in, in, in fact, Isaiah goes and says it, that they're in deep darkness. There, there is this blackness that's surrounding people. And much like we read in Genesis 1, in the midst of the darkness, the voice of God declares, let there be light. Let there be illumination. Let there be openness. Let there be something different and Jesus Christ comes in the same way Isaiah says because while the world was in darkness and God spoke light the people of the world were in darkness and Jesus comes as our light he comes to illuminate your pathway he comes to can I tell you this is harder word he comes to illuminate what's actually inside of your soul so you don't have to walk in the same brokenness and darkness that you have been walking with he brings and provides a beauty that could only be described as creative in the word of God I want you to understand that the Christmas story here, this, this idea of hope, what Jesus brings, what, what the Advent story tells us is that this is not mankind seeking and unearthing something. 
See, God, when he brings his word, it's not going to be a result of investigation. It will be the result of revelation. It's not the result of investigation. It's the result of revelation. And this is God divinely choosing to say something that no one would have been able to hear had he not said it. When we couldn't get to God, he got to us. When we couldn't find hope in the brokenness of the world, he brought hope into that same world. Can I tell you, Isaiah, later on, and I think it's in verse 6 in chapter 9, he does not say, unto us a son is discovered. Man, that's a word for our world. Because so many of you have Googled everything. What is the new strain, the Omicron strain? How many of you have read up on this, right? You want to find it, you want to Google? I did it Friday morning, okay? I made the mistake. I went down the rabbit hole. It was a terrible idea. But we believe that information is going to fix us. If I can just know enough, if I can just know more, if I can have all the facts. Like we, we assume arrogantly that if I just have all the facts in my hands, then I can make perfect sense of everything that I need to make sense of. And I can finally have the peace that's been so elusive to me. But here's the reality. Peace does not come through investigation. Peace comes through revelation. It is when God speaks a word into your heart that you could not have figured out on your own. It's when Jesus came, not because Mary figured out a way to conceive as a virgin, but because God said, I'm doing a new thing in the world. I'm bringing light into darkness places. I'm bringing hope and healing into broken places. I'm not leaving you as you are. Those who walked in darkness, in deep darkness, you're not walking there anymore. I've got light for you. I've got love for you. I've got hope for you. I'm building anticipation in you because I'm speaking a word from the outside and I'm invading your inside place. Some of us need an outside word. Mm. Some of you need an outside word to come and invade the inside of your situation. Amen. Some of you feel trapped in situations that you're in. You feel trapped in relational moments that you're in. You feel trapped in in jobs that you hate. You feel trapped in places where you don't have employment. You feel trapped in depression or anxiety. You feel trapped in addiction. You feel trapped by the things that seem to come knocking at your door when you didn't ask them to come knocking at your door. Can I tell you something? I don't want to preach too early this morning. I was going to save it for 20 or 30 minutes later, but let me just tell you, let me give you a word of hope. Can Can I just deliver a word that I believe God has already delivered to us? And that is this, that is that God is not waiting on you your inside moment to get different. He's bringing a word of hope into your inside moment from the outside where light actually exists all the time. He's speaking that light into the darkness of your life, into the closed in places of your life. It is not that through investigation that the sun has come. The sun has been given to us as a gift from God, wrapped up in the word of God to Zechariah and to Mary and to Elizabeth and to the, and, and to the shepherds. And he says, I am speaking a word. I've wrapped the gift. Now pay attention to how it starts to change your heart because there's something beautiful that's about to show up in your life it's an outside word that's invading your inside place and before i go on i don't want this to be nebulous i want this to be clear some of you don't know what the word nebulous means which means i was very confusing even when i was trying to be clear (laughs) i just heard the irony it's all right just doing a little mental processing while i'm up here talking to you guys This is not a general word. This is not just God's going to tell you everything's going to be all right. Can I tell you, that's not the word of God to your life. Jesus is the word of God to your life. There is none like Jesus. There is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved other than the name of Jesus. He is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Jesus is the gift. Jesus is what's wrapped up in the word of God that he has delivered. Jesus is the answer for the darkness and the brokenness of your life. Jesus is the answer for everything that ails you, for your sin, for your hurting, for your illness, for your confusion, all of that. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the word that we speak of at Christmas. I just want to make sure that I'm not just saying something generalized so that you think, oh, well, God's going to tell me everything's going to be all right. No, no, God sent you Jesus because Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. I read the story. I won't go into it in depth, but uh, there was a lady, this was last year. Her husband uh, had been suffering from Alzheimer's for about seven or eight years, and he was in a senior care facility. And uh, he was in there when COVID hit. And as so many of you know, they had to, they closed the doors to so many of those facilities to try to isolate the virus to make sure it didn't spread and, or if it was spreading in those places that it didn't spread outward. And so uh, she was stuck on the outside when, when the COVID lockdowns took place. And so her husband who was, who was suffering from Alzheimer's was struggling. 
She tried to get on the phone with him and it wasn't the same. He, he, didn't, he couldn't talk, he couldn't remember, and, and it was really her touch. She would go in, before COVID, she would go in and, and she would dress him for bed. She would eat with him, she would talk with him, she would help him have some kind of bearings in a world that was quickly slipping away in his mind. And so suddenly the doors are locked and she has no way to get inside. And she talked to the caregivers at the facility, they, they would tell her, man, he's not doing well. I know that we're trying to keep him safe from the virus, but the isolation is doing a number on him as well. And so, you know, it's just one way or the other. They couldn't figure out what to do. And so from out of nowhere, it's a beautiful story. I think it was in the AP or CBS, or, it was in CBS News last year, I believe. So out of nowhere, unexpectedly, she received a phone call from a company that was asking her if she wanted a job. And the job that they were offering as far as I understood the article, it was not a job she had applied for. It was a job to be a part-time dishwasher at the very care facility that her husband was in. When she realized what was going on, she snapped it up immediately and said, I'll take the job. And so several days a week, can I tell you this is the gospel? Several days a week, because she took on the form of a servant, she was able to come from the outside into a place of darkness and brokenness, and she was able to dress him again and feed him again. She was able to sit with him again and talk with him again, and his condition gradually improved back to where it was because she came from the outside in. See, he had no hope on the inside, but it was because the one who was outside took on the form of a servant and decided to come dwell among him, decided to do the lowly work of washing dishes in a senior care facility, that suddenly a light was shown into a place that was dark and broken and trapped and isolated and God brought an open door into a place where a door looked like it was closed. Can I tell you something? Wherever you are, you're not too far. Wherever you have gone, you are not in a place where he cannot reach you. Whatever you feel like you're trapped inside of, the light of Jesus can shine into that place. His hope can be a part of your life even this very morning because it's an outside word coming to an inside place. He doesn't have to generate it with your strength because it's not by strength and it's not by power, but it's by the spirit of God. God, says the Lord, that's how hope comes into a place of isolation and darkness and brokenness. This is what Christmas is about. <laughs> it's the hope of the world. The word of God putting on flesh to dwell with us. Hmm. So hope is an outside word invading an inside place. And second, this word of hope expands our imagination and it creates new questions in us. Look at verse 34 of Luke chapter one. Mary said to the angel, how can this be? Since I'm a virgin. <laughs> now, what precedes all of that is beautiful. Because it says, and I want you to see, there's something powerful about this. In verse 26, <laughs> I'll actually get to this in the third point, but in verse 26, it says, in the sixth month, God marks time not by calendars, but by conception. Do you see this? God said, this is the sixth month. It's time for Gabriel to go. What sixth month? The sixth month was Elizabeth's sixth month, six month of pregnancy. She who was called barren is now carrying a child. And God starts to mark time by what he's done in miraculous ways. Can I tell you something? Some of y'all are waiting on something and God says, stop waiting in the calendar and in the years and the months and the days that you can define. Instead, start listening to my word to you. That's how I mark time. I mark time by miraculous conception. I mark time by turning barren things into living things. I mark time differently than you mark time. The day of the Lord is his day to determine. Amen? So I want you to see that. That's, that's a tidbit. But the angel Gabriel comes in the sixth month. And he says these amazing things. He came to her first and he said, greetings, favored one. That's in verse 28. The Lord is with you. Now look closely. <laughs> but she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. Can I tell you something? This is beautiful. This is a little nugget for you. Almost every time an angel shows up in the scriptures, people fall down afraid of that being. Not Mary. Mary is not afraid of the angelic creature that appears out of nowhere. Mary is afraid when God starts to butter her up. Greetings, favored one. The Lord loves you. The Lord has got a wonderful plan for your life. And Mary says, it sounds more like the Lord has a wonderful plan for my back. 
she's perplexed and thinks, why is he talking to me this way? <laughs> why is he complimenting me? We're going to find out quickly. <laughs> Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And now Mary looks at him and says, how in the world is that going to happen? I'm not qualified for this job. The problem with hope, the beauty of hope is that it's an outside word that invades an inside place. But the problem of hope is that it highlights our inadequacy by expanding our imagination. The problem with hope is that it highlights our inadequacy by expanding our imagination. See, the more the angel says, the more bizarre this word becomes. Because he doesn't say you're going to get pregnant. He says you're going to get pregnant in a way that nobody's ever gotten pregnant. He doesn't just say you're going to get married to Joseph and you guys are going to have a baby and you're going to name him this. And No, no. He says you are about to go through a process that no one in the world has ever gone through. And she looks at him and says, how? Like she's not saying you can't do it, God. She's saying I can't do it. Do you see that? She's not saying that God can't accomplish whatever God wants to accomplish. She says, how is this going to happen? Because I know myself. Some of y'all are in that place. Some of y'all believe grand things about God, but you don't believe he can do those things in you. You know what that's called? It's called deliverance. That's what deliverance actually is. It's when you start to align what you believe God can accomplish with what you believe is possible in your life. Deliverance is not this moment when God slaps you across the face and said, you didn't expect it, but I'm going to set you free. Deliverance is the moment when you hear the word of God and say, okay, I don't think this can happen. And God said, let me tell you how it can happen. It's not because of you. It's because of me. How can this be? I'm a virgin. And the angel says, well, really, it's not about you. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and he's going to overshadow you. This is a work of God in you. This is not really about your qualifications or your pedigree. This is about the Spirit of God and what he is capable of accomplishing. And I told you, I think back at Pentecost, uh, when I preached, when I first came to the church here, that he, he, he is referencing Mary back to creation when the Holy Spirit hovered over the face of the deep, over the cauldron and chaos of creation in Genesis 1, 1 and 2. And he began to speak life out of a place where no life ever should have come. Mary hears these words and God says, the same way that I hovered over the cauldron of chaos in the beginning, I'm going to hover over the emptiness of your womb and I'm going to speak life into a place that you never could have expected. This isn't about you at all, Mary. It's not about your strength. It's about your surrender. It's about your willingness. And this is why hope is a struggle for us at times. The word of God's hope does not come to make us comfortable where we are. It calls us to go where we have not yet been. The word of God's hope does not come to make us comfortable where we are. It calls us to go where we have not yet been. Can I tell you, I have a nine-year-old and a 13-year-old, and the 13-year-old is down here. She's beautiful. Young lady, she's my favorite girl in the world, aside from her mother. It's all right. I'm supposed to do it that way. But my son, who was back in kids' church, he's still changed deeply by the wrapped gifts under the tree. You see, it's interesting, isn't it? Because before the gifts are there, life's normal. But after the gifts show up, life's uncomfortable. And it's made uncomfortable because there's something else on the horizon that I can't quite reach. Hope is not calling you to be more comfortable. Hope is calling you to imagine a life where you go further in Christ, where you go further by his word, where you go further in his power than you thought you could. And it will create dissonance in you. You know what dissonance is in music? It's when two tones don't quite relate to each other in harmony. They create something of a clash. We use it though intentionally in music because dissonant notes create tension and build up and give us the opportunity to feel the release when resolution comes. 
Some of you who are musicians understand that. Dissonance is not something God is unwilling to use. Dissonance actually is something God loves to use because he creates anticipation in us through dissonance so that when the gift is opened, all of that release comes out in joy. Advent begins with hope, but Advent leads to joy. Mary is not made comfortable by the word of God. She's called farther by the word of God. And I think sometimes we want to confine our thinking because we want to be able to manage our own life. We don't naturally dream bigger than we're capable of accomplishing. Look at your long-term goals, would you? Just a moment. Some of you don't have long-term goals. Some of your long-term goals are to get to a place to eat lunch this afternoon. You cast that vision, you go ahead. You you achieve that goal, I'm going to do it too. But if you look at your long-term goals, 10, 20, 30, 40 years down the road, are there any of them? Any of the things that you've thought of, any of the things that you've longed for, are there any of those things that are only possible if God performs a bona fide, without a doubt, miracle at some point in your life? I want you to listen to me closely. See, in our own imagination, we dream of things that we can accomplish if we just work a little bit harder or have a little bit of good fortune. But what God has dreamed for you, what God has actually called you to, what God has spoken over your life, I want you to hear me, the prophetic word of promise that God has spoken over your life, not because you are who you are, but because he is who he is. That word he's spoken over your life is only possible if he does something miraculous in and through you. I want you to hear me. Too many of us dream way too small instead of telling God, I know it's outlandish, but I'm gonna dream for this, and if you don't show up, then I fall on my face. See, I think this is the the word that God is bringing to Mary. God is not saying, Mary, I need you to work a little bit harder so that you conceive without the normal process. Right? Because that looks like Ikea directions. You can't read them. They don't make any sense. And they're all in Swedish. God says, I'm going to give you a dream. I'm going to expand your imagination in a way that forces me to do things that you could not do. And can I tell you something? That's what God wants for your life too. God doesn't want you to feel like you have to do it all on your own. He wants to explode your future by saying the things I have for you. Remember in Jeremiah 29, I know the text is much maligned, but he says, I know the plans I have for you. Remember? Some of you know that. The plans that he has for them are not plans that they can accomplish on their own. They are only plans that can be accomplished by the power of God at work in their midst. And the same thing is true for you. And the same thing is true for me. If my imagination gets stalled by my ability instead of the capability of the Holy Spirit, then I'm dreaming too small. Advent comes to awaken me, to tell me that there is a grander dream that God has for my life, that there is a more beautiful word. You remember in Hebrews it says that, that there is a word that is spoken by the the world, and then there is a better word that is spoken through Jesus Christ. Jesus makes possible things that are only possible because God comes near. And so this word that expands our imagination and creates new questions, it does two things, and I'll I'll move through this and I'll, I'll get to my final point. First of all, the word of God's hope, just been talking about it, it creates new depths to your destiny. And second, the word of God's hope exposes new areas of your own inadequacy. The word of God's hope creates new depths to your destiny, and the word of God's hope exposes new areas of inadequacy. Mary has to decide if she's willing to accept a calling that will upend her plans, her desires, and her goals so she can be a part of something that accomplishes God's plans, God's desires, and God's goals. I'm going to push on you just for a minute, so I want to warn you of that. I'm just going to press just a little bit because it's what I feel like I'm supposed to do. I'm gonna do it in love, because I love you. If Mary has to keep everything manageable in her life, she will disqualify herself from being the very mother of God. And I want you to hear me. If everything in your life has to be manageable and in order according to your definition of order, then you will circumvent the process of God to do the amazing things that he wants to do in and through you.
We have made an idol out of manageability. We've made idols out of status quo. And can I tell you this? Hmm. Hope is always undervalued where status quo is overprotected. Hope is always undervalued where status quo is overprotected. I don't want a status quo life because that's evidence that God isn't doing the things that he wants to do in me. There are things, and can I tell you, I get just as stressed as you. Can I just confess that to you? When things don't go my way, when things come out of left field at me, when I get hit from behind, uh, a friend of mine, uh, some friends of ours were over yesterday to watch the games, which I will not talk about because I know it's going to create animosity in somebody, so I'm going to leave that alone. He had, I've told you before, I had played one of those Oculus things, the things you slip over your head. Well, he had one of those and there was a, a Star Wars game on it. And so I'd never played it before. And so I put it on, you're in this room, right? And you've got to get your bearings because you're about to fall over. And they had to like drag my arms down because I'm about to touch the fan. I've got a pretty decent reach. And so the ceiling fan's up above me pretty good, but they were concerned that I was going to, probably not concerned about my hand, probably concerned about the controller anyway, but none, nonetheless, they still love me. But there are these little things that emerge and you have this lightsaber. And you've got to block this thing shooting stuff at you. Or you've got to dodge this thing. And so they have video of it because that's what you do. You make them put these goggles on, then you shoot cell phone video of people who look like morons in the living room. And so that's just part of the fun, I suppose. And uh, so I'm dodging these things and I'm trying to deflect them with this thing. And suddenly I realize I'm getting shot from behind. Because some of those little things have gone behind me. And I turn around, it's like three or three of these things, just, just, you know, taking the character's life in this game because I didn't see them. I didn't know what they were. I tell you, life feels like that sometimes. You think you've got all of the enemies managed. They're out in front of you. You have grouped them well and you are surviving. And then you realize that three of them went around behind you and started attacking you from a side that you could not see. That's what happens when your schedule gets filled up by things that you didn't expect. That's what happens when you've got a busy two weeks and suddenly you come down with the flu. That's what happens when your kid looks at you and says, I don't want to go to school anymore. And they cry every morning in the car line. That's what happens when you struggle through things that you shouldn't struggle through. You thought you'd managed life. And I'm just here to tell you, I sympathize with you. And status quo is so comfortable, but status quo is so limiting. It was only when David walked into a valley in front of a giant that glory was seen. And sometimes it's only when we do something and allow God to work in us outside of the status quo of our life, outside of the manageability of our life. Stop syncing your calendar to Outlook for a couple of days and see how it feels when things get just a little bit out of order in in your life. See, because it's still in order in God's hands. When you've committed yourself to the word of God, to the word of God's hope in your life, he will direct your paths. Mary has to determine. Oh, listen to me now. I'll move on. I promise I won't rant on this very much longer. She wants to get married. She's betrothed to be married to this young man named Joseph. He's a carpenter. She has in her mind the Hebrew dream. I want to get married. He's going to run his carpentry shop. I'm going to raise babies. I'm going to teach them to live in the fear and admission of the Lord. We're going to take them to the temple. I'm going to teach them the Torah. We're going to sing the songs of our ancestors, and we're going to hope for Messiah. (laughs) She is satisfied with the status quo of life that says, I just want what every other Palestinian girl wants in their life. And God comes to her and says, are you willing to give up what you thought you wanted so that I can do what I want to do in you? Are you willing to give up your plans and your preferences so my plans and my preferences can take root inside of you. But do you see what she's trading off? She wants to teach her children about the hope of Messiah so they can pray for him as well. And God looks at her and says, I want to bring the hope of Messiah directly into the world through you. I don't want you to be less than. I want you to be greater than. That's what the Bible says when it says you're not the tail. You are the head. You are not the last. You are the first. It doesn't mean that you're all that strong or you're all that good looking or you're all that capable. It means that when God, again, when God comes to your life with his word of hope and you surrender yourself to it, he can do more through you than you could ever do on your own. And sometimes he might want to bring the answer to the prayers that you have for generations into your life instead of you just raising them to pray the same things. I've never said it that way before, and I like it like that. We pray for our future. We pray for our children, our grandchildren. But what if God wants to do in you right now what you were going to teach them to pray for? 
I'll move on. I'll move on. Finally, hope is an outside word invading an inside situation or place. And hope expands our imagination and it creates new questions in us. How can this be since I'm a virgin? And third, hope teaches us to walk in the joy of the future by showing us what God is already doing in the present. I'm going to say that again slowly because I talk too fast. Hope teaches us to walk in the joy of the future by showing us what God is already doing in the present. Look at, look at the text. I love this. So Mary says, how can this be since I'm a virgin? Verse 35, the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. Now, listen. So he says there's an enormous God thing that I just told you. God's going to do something unprecedented and amazing. But you don't know what that feels like. And you don't know what that means. Because I'm telling you something that no one's ever been told before. And so the angel says to her this in verse 36. And now your relative Elizabeth, in her old age. Some of you say amen. In your old age, say amen. A couple of you just whispered it out. I hear you. It's all right. In her old age, Elizabeth. After she got her AARP card and her discount coffee at Bojangles, Elizabeth conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren, for nothing is impossible with God. Look, after telling Mary what God's going to do, overshadow her, be near her uniquely, the angel doesn't leave Mary in the realm of theory. But Gabriel looks at her and says, let me give you some proof that this isn't just a weird dream because you ate something strange. He says, your cousin right now is finding out what happens when the word of God's hope collides with human impossibility. It's Elizabeth's story that God uses to help Mary believe that the word of hope she has received isn't as impossible as she might have been tempted to believe. Let me say that one more time. It is Elizabeth's story that God uses to help Mary believe that the word of, of hope she's received is not as impossible as she might have been tempted to believe. Hmm. I'm going to talk about Elizabeth and Zechariah next week some. So I'm not going to get too deep into the story. But, but I want you to see what happens. Hope is an outside word invading an inside place. And the word of God's hope expands your imaginations and forces you to ask new questions. But I want you to hear me. God does not leave you in a place where you cannot believe what he has told you about. He gives you stories and examples and illustrations and beautiful things around you so that you can believe for what he has spoken over you. Don't so if you would come, please. Six months before Gabriel visits Mary. Would you stand with me this morning? Six months before the angel visits Mary. God showed up. He told Zechariah and Elizabeth, this older couple who were righteous and faithful, that you're going to have the thing that you've been longing for. I'm going to cause you to conceive. Now, can I just tell you, and I'll get into this probably more next week, but I just want you to hear me and let this settle in your heart. They'd been praying for that child for, there's no telling how long, said they were advanced in age and everybody had called them barren. But it wasn't their timing that was determining the conception of the life that they were going to receive. It was Mary's life. Mary had to become old enough. Mary had to be in the place where she could carry the Christ child so that Elizabeth could receive God's conception in her own life because Elizabeth and Zechariah were going to become the story that allowed Mary to believe that God was actually doing what he said he'd do. See, sometimes God's bringing a word to people around you so that the word that he's given to you makes more sense. Sometimes 
Can I just tell you? He's given you a ton of stories where his faithfulness, this is why it matters that you believe the Bible is actually true, because there are so many stories in the scriptures of people who God spoke to and then carried out his faithful word to, and and that gives us hope that what he's spoken over us, that we don't understand how it's going to take place, we don't see the pathway forward, we finally start to believe that it's possible because the word of God has told us that somebody else dealt with it before we did. And I tell you just one more thing. This is also why community is so important. If you're trying to walk by yourself through your Christian life, then inevitably the word of God to you will seem much more impossible than it's supposed to because you're not listening to the stories of the faithfulness of the people who've walked in front of you. I want you to turn to your neighbor. If you don't know them, you know, four to six feet apart, is that right? (laughs) I want you to just look at them. I want you to say, you've got a story that's going to help me. Here's, here's what's funny. Some of you already know some of those stories because you looked at them and you think, I don't know how this story's going to help me. But and So I want to tell you a story to end and we're going to pray together on Advent Sunday. Ray Backey, who was a pastor in Chicago, told this story about an old Scottish professor that he had met, a guy named McDonald. And MacDonald had been a Scottish chaplain in World War II, and he had bailed out of an airplane behind German lines. He had been put in a prison camp. There's a high wire fence that separated the Americans from the British, and the Germans made it next to impossible for the two sides to communicate. MacDonald, because he was neither American nor British, really, was put into the American barracks, and the chaplain a friend of his, another chaplain friend of his, was put into the barracks with the British. And every day, these two men would sort of walk near the fence that separated them, and they would speak in this old Gaelic language, this old dialect that nobody else in the camp really knew. They had learned it because they had studied at school together, or at the same school, excuse me. And so every day, they would exchange a greeting. And unknown to the guards, the Americans had smuggled in piece by piece a little homemade radio and they were able to get news from the outside which was more precious in a prison camp than even the food that they were given each day. Every day as McDonald would hear the reports from that radio he would walk gradually and just kind of casually near that fence and in that old Gaelic dialect he would tell that other chaplain what they had heard on the radio and the chaplain would take it back to the British barracks to tell them the report that they were hearing from outside the prison. One day news came over that little radio that the German high command had surrendered and that the war was over. Now McDonald with glee tried his best to be casual and walked out to the fence to let his friend know in that old Gaelic dialect what they had heard on that radio, that Germany had surrendered, they had given up, they were defeated, and this was all going to end soon. And he told him. And so they casually separated, just being very nonchalant about everything. But just a couple minutes later, out of the British barracks, they heard a huge cheer and men screaming and the German guards didn't know what to make of it. Because... The Germans had not heard yet that the war was over. They had not received communications that the Americans had gotten over that little radio. So they thought everything was still status quo. They thought they were still in control. Now here's the, here's the thing. For three days, for three full days, the Germans still believed that Germany was in the war and that they had to run that prison camp, except nothing in that prison camp stayed the same. The Americans and the British were walking around with their heads held high. They would look at the German guards and the dogs and they would laugh. They begin to see in the courtyards because they knew something that the guards did not know. See, they'd heard a story from outside of themselves that gave them a kind of hope, even inside the moment they were in, that what was true was coming into their situation. Can I tell you something? I don't care where you are in the isolation and the darkness that you are trapped in. There's (laughs) There's a word of hope that Jesus has brought to you. He says, it already happened. I was born in a manger. I was perfect in my life. I was crucified on a tree and 
I came back three days later out of a grave to bring you hope and peace and joy and grace and salvation and mercy and forgiveness to unstick you from your stuck places, to release you from your prisons. And we don't walk the same, even though we're still inside the world that says we're holding you captive. We look at them and say, no, no, no. I've got a song in my heart because I'm not captive to anyone other than the one who took me captive by the power of the cross. We are free in Jesus' name because of a word that took place outside of our story. Amen? <laughs> Mary says, how can this be? I'm not qualified. And the angel says, six months ago, another lady who wasn't qualified just conceived and she's about to have a baby. Why don't you go visit her house? And Mary said, oh my, my, he's already done it. He did it in her. He can do it in me. Can I tell you something? He did it before. He'll do it again. What you need, he's done it before. He'll do it again. He is no respecter of persons. He set me free from a lot of nonsense in my life. He can set you free from a lot of nonsense too. He declared freedom over my life of captivity. He can declare it over your life of captivity too. He took a hopeless young man who was deep in a world of sin and said I raise you from the dead I raise your life back into new things in new places he can do it for you as well I've heard the story I've lived the story let me share the story of Jesus with you it's hope it's wrapped in a present it's creating anticipation and when you see who the word actually is everything is different you are different Advent makes you a different person <laughs> Those who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who are in deep darkness, upon them light has shined. <laughs> you who have been in darkness, can I tell you there is a light. An outside light shining to an inside place. And it's going to challenge your imagination. It's going to try to force you to think in ways that you've never thought before. And it's going to bring up new questions. But I want you to hear me. The antidote for the questions of impossibility is to look at the improbable things that God has already done all around you and say, if you can do it then, then you can do it now. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes, please. Some of you need freedom this morning. I know this. Some of you need forgiveness this morning. I believe this. Some of you feel stuck inside of a place, like you can't get out. In some of your lives, for different reasons, maybe it feels like darkness has descended, it has shrouded you. I'm just here to tell you, oh man, like they sang earlier, can I just tell you about my Jesus? He'll make a way where there was no way. <laughs> He'll open a door that could not be opened by any other hand. He'll raise things back to life that we thought were long gone and dead. He can restore relationships. He can fix depression. He can heal bodies. He can make pathways in places that were concealed. He can open doors of employment. He can repair finances that are broken down. He can take the anger and the frustration and the addiction that you're fighting with and wrestling with each day and he can say there's freedom in my name because I can shine a light from outside into a place where you are inside. I can open a door. Jesus said, in fact, in his own ministry, I am the door. I am the way. I am the truth and the life. He is the one who gives us access to the point of light that shines into our world, the Father himself. This morning, I wonder, do you need that hope? Man, don't walk through this Christmas season without starting from a place of hope. Without allowing God to speak a new dream inside of you. Remaining satisfied with mediocrity. 